Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It is hard to believe we are in October, fellas. This is the Ted and Yogi's Pac 12 Adventure with Ted Robinson, Mike Molinari, our producer, and myself, Yogi Roth. Fellas, it's Monday. Craziness has ensued. The game we're calling this weekend, Colorado, Arizona, has the two undefeated teams in the Pac 12 South, which is exactly how we drew it up, of course. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I got to ask you, Ted, you were in SEC country over the weekend. Molinari, you were Oregon State, Stanford game. I was at Utah against Washington State, and, and that was an absolute domination game by the Utes. How was everybody's weekend? First of all, the best part about October is that we have two non-conference games left. That's it, <laughs> right? USC at Notre Dame and then Notre Dame at Stanford. That's it. So the rest of the way we have conference football, which is awesome. And I'm going to say this right up front. As Yogi referenced, I went because we had a bye. Well, I had a bye week. Molinari had to work. Yogi was in Salt Lake City for our Pac-12 pregame show. So I went to Auburn on a personal trip with our best friends. And we went and I watched an SEC football game. And I, I tried to send Michael a picture in my you know, somewhat comfortably numb state. I think I mistyped your email address. 40 minutes before kickoff, I took a picture of the stands in Auburn, and they were 90% full. And that's an 80,000-seat stadium. 40 minutes before kickoff. And it was 94 degrees. So the passion that we all hear about is true. I witnessed it. And that part of it was exceptional. I will say this, watching a lot of football over the weekend, I came to this conclusion. Penn State plays Maryland Friday night, right, on national TV, and it's a blowout. Michigan and Rutgers Saturday, and it's a blowout, which, by the way, is really a reflection on the Big Ten. Maryland and Rutgers have as much business being in the Big Ten as Washington State and Oregon State. And so then you turn around and you see what Ohio State does to Nebraska. What Ohio State does to Nebraska And you can go down the line, what Auburn, I watched, Auburn just crushed Mississippi State, hammered them in the first half. Game was not competitive at all. And my point is that's bad for college football. So I look at what I saw from the pack, and what was the the, really the highlight game of our weekend was USC at Washington. It was a pretty good game. It was a competitive game. And I think that's what concerns me, is that the top tier of college football this year is pulling so far away from everyone else. It's not good for the sport, guys. We need to have good games. And to have a weekend where the only good game we're really talking about was Clemson, North Carolina, right? I mean, that's not good. It's not good to have Penn State beating a team in your own conference. It's conference football. And Penn State's winning 100 to nothing. And Michigan, which isn't very good, beats a team 58 to nothing. The pack right now may not have a team that's going to be in the CFP, but I like the fact that our conference games have a lot more balance to it. Well, touch on two things you said. 40 minutes to kick off in Corvallis. The stadium was completely empty because we had just had a lightning strike. Yeah. So we had a uh, about a half-hour delay, but got it going. And uh, the other thing was you said competitive games. Well, that's what Beaver fans have been begging for for the last at least two years. Their team played really well and stayed with Stanford, and eventually Stanford won it on a uh, last-minute field goal. So 
pretty competitive and fun game, and I think a lot of signs of hope up in Corvallis now. And they need to win one of these games. That's the frustration, isn't it? I mean, we've watched this story for Oregon State for about five years now. They play their tails off. They play hard. They're right there, and they don't win. And Jonathan Smith, who we all like and respect tremendously, I hope he can find a way to get them to win some of these games. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I just got done watching that game back, uh, just gearing up for you know the Stanford UW. We're going to talk about that game here in a minute. But Oregon State's close. And so often, how many times have we seen it where you just get that one win and all of a sudden it tips? Because if they won that game, fellas, that would have been their first conference game since the Oregon game in the Civil War in 2016. That was a stat that Michael gave me last weekend that I'm fully ripping off on our podcast. There we go. And if they won, they'd have the opportunity this weekend to get over 500 in conference play, which I believe hadn't happened since 2015. You know, and they, when they were two and one, so this the pendulum of a loss is huge and. For them, you know, they felt it. I can't wait to watch them compete this weekend. So that being said, just for the first time, listeners, because guys, we continue to grow this podcast. Record numbers last week. People are digging it, so we're going to keep leaning into this thing. We believe is that the Molinari effect? I think it is. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you got to believe so. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know what the feedback you guys get, but. Ted, no offense to you or I, but it's usually about how unique it is that we have our producer on the podcast. So yeah. I actually do think it's the Molinari effect. Well, the number one question I've been getting asked, is Molinari married? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, a, that's what the I said is. Melanie was fast asleep, <laughs> podcast one. Yeah, well, that's, you know, the answer I give is yes, happily, <laughs> with two beautiful daughters. As a result, Michael lives in their world. Yeah, we, we tell them that. I love it. All right. So for the first time, listeners, this is about 30 minutes. What do you think of the blowouts, Yogi? What do you think of the blowouts? Well, I think uh, I think it's it's a world that has been created by ESPN in terms of what college football is. And it's all about the playoff. And that's the narrative that's in college football. We're going to find out in three weeks when the first, you know, CFP vote comes out. I'm going on Wednesday to Dallas to do a mock college football playoff selection. And that's any that's all people care about. So. I don't like it because for the purity of the game and a guy who grew up watching all the games as a child on the East Coast, watching every game from sunrise to sundown, and as long as my parents let me stay up and played it at, <laughs> yeah. a, at a school like Pitt, who we were you know, consistently a nine-win team, a chance to win 11 every year, a chance to win five or six. That was awesome because we were like the Pac-12 back then, and I think the majority of teams were. Other than when you went for a run with maybe Michael Vick and Vatek or Charlie Ward in Florida State, schools had their runs, but you never saw what it is now. And it's Bama. I mean, the way I look at it right now in college football, and this, again, Ted, like you, you know, we didn't have a game. So I did our studio show, but that's just an hour. So you're basically watching games all day long. And I look at Ohio State. I look at Alabama. I get Clemson at a tough game against Carolina. But those three teams, and you put Oklahoma potentially in that conversation, that's kind of who it is. And maybe LSU, maybe Texas, maybe Oregon if they take a run, maybe UW if they win out, maybe Utah if they win out. But overall, like it's kind of the the elites and then a bunch of good teams. And the challenge is, is that nobody cares about those other games. Yes. You know, and, and no, let me rephrase. A lot of people care. There's no coverage on those other games no, that you're really right, matters. Yogi. That's it, Yogan. That's exactly what concerns me. And I guess this is the unintended consequence theory that we could talk about in other realms as well. But to me, the playoff, which I'm a huge fan of the playoff. I mean, college football was the only sport that didn't determine its champion on the field, which is absurd. But the unintended consequence of this structure, this four-team structure, is exactly what you talked about. And I found myself doing that this past weekend. I'm sitting there going, why is anybody watching any of this? And I can tell you, at Auburn, 
where they are psychotically fanatic about football. And it was great to be there at halftime, stadium empty. Because mm. they were kicking Mississippi State's tail. And so at halftime, half the stadium left. That's terrible for college football. And and we in television have a huge part of this, and I'm not gonna not gonna duck from that. Um, it, the, and I not none of us none of us three are power. Well, I, Yogi, you and I are not powerful enough to affect <laughs> a Molinari. He's pretty powerful, but um, you know. But but it really it, it concerns me long term. We need to get people in the stadiums. We need to get. And I'll tell you the best thing I read all weekend long. I watched the Arizona State Cal game a lot of it. And I'm sickened by Chase Garber's injury. But uh, Bruce Jenkins, a longtime friend of mine, a great guy, writes for the San Francisco Chronicle, was at the game. And you know what he wrote about the game? He said, look, to get a full house at Cal or a full house at Stanford in today's day and age is probably not realistic. But he said the best part of Friday night was looking at the student section in Berkeley and the adjoining sections, and they were full. And he said that meant the campus was engaged. And I went right on, Bruce. That, to me, was the best thing I read about any Pac-12 game all weekend, that the Cal students, the Cal campus, has captured what Justin Wilcox and his team are doing there. Uh, we, need to, we need to see and hear more of that. Yeah. Well, look, I, just to put a bow on that before we hit, hit it here, I, I just think that sports still has this galvanizing power, and we're in such an interesting time in the world that there is that thing of whether it's two hours at a basketball game is media day kicks off i think this week in the pac-12 or three and a half in a football game like you get to go and just cheer for your squad like i still i still believe that like memories are happening with parents and children when they go to games i mean i'm doing it with zane our little guy like he'll go to a ucla game and he'll rock his gear and he'll talk about the team like the things that still are the fabric of sport they haven't disappeared into a smartphone they haven't disappeared into a 70 inch television and sitting on your couch like they're still there so I just hope we keep it going. And I do think that the voices at the top, the people that control college football, which is really just, I think, one media company overall, like that's had an unfortunate uh, windfall, you know, and or a waterfall effect to this game. So I, I'm going to be really interested to see what it's like in five years, 10 years, 20 years, when we're still calling games and, and what the stadiums will be like. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's something, and Michael, you can do it with your daughters too. Is that's exactly right. That's something that I I really hope I see more of in our footprint. I saw it at Auburn, and again, any and I think any of the SEC locations, you would see the same thing. And the Big Ten locations, you'd see the same thing. Was I saw families going to games. I want to see that. I really want to keep seeing that a ton of Pac-12 games. Yeah. All right. So if you are uh, going to take your family to a game, and this is going to be our first of four downs, is what we do every week, and you're going to go say this team's going to win the Pac-12. I think it's a three-horse race, fellas, right now. Utah, they looked like they had the most complete game in the conference all season long. Washington played well, and at times they've looked like the best team. The Ducks were off, but the way they've competed and what they did in the Stanford game to me was impressive. And now we get going here. Utah with a bye this week, but UW and Stanford. Um, Oregon gets going again with Cal. Ted, you referenced the quarterback being down. I'm curious, if you were taking your family to the team that you said they're going to win the pack, with no undefeated teams remaining, who would you roll with? Well, you know, it's funny, Yogan. I'll, I'll jump in here first. Uh, I watched more intently than I had before USC play Utah, which was last week's game. I saw a little bit of this game with Washington. I haven't watched it in depth yet. 
I was blown away. By, and I really, when I watched intently by USC's talent level, we know they're receivers. They have a world-class core of receivers. Their defense, they've got some players there. It's the best. I think I've been probably a broken record on this one. USC fans will, will know what I'm talking about. To me, one of the biggest shocks of USC football since Yogi Roth left the coaching staff is how line play has dropped on both sides of the ball. I mean, USC, I grew up, Bill Walsh had the great line years ago when I was around Stanford, and Bill said USC on the offensive line was five vending machines that could move. That's what it felt like. And their defensive line just has been so subpar in recent years with the one exception of Leonard Williams. They've got defensive linemen now, right? They could play. And the safety's terrific. He's just terrific. Uh, and there, and I looked up on the, the depth chart, you pull it up on your screen, and it's freshmen and sophomores. So to me, there's a lot of upside there. And Yogi and Michael, I, I threw this out at Yogi before to challenge. Name me any Power 5 team in the Power 5 era that has won games in the same season with three different quarterbacks. USC's done that in September, right? Yeah. So, so when, when the howling comes out about Clay Helton, I think there needs to be some perspective. One is I see talent there, and two, the quarterback. I mean, it's the most important position in the sport, and USC is leading what has been really a very rough September for the conference as a, in a whole at the quarterback position. I like it. All right, so you're, you're taking your family to the USC game. Yes, yes. All right, Michael, who do you got? The Ducks. I just think Justin Herbert's playing at another level right now, and I think the fact, kind of what playing off what Ted said, Mario Cristobal has really put a premium on line play on both sides of the ball, and I just think... The fact that they're tough in the trenches, and to me, they've got the best quarterback in the conference um, and a decent amount of skill players. We found out a lot of depth when, I mean, the amount of injuries in the receiving core, and some of those guys are starting to come back now. I think they're going to have a push. I think they're going to have a big push in uh, October, November. And I think I think the Ducks are, to me, the team that's going to pull away and win it all in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I think on the SC front, Ted, I co-sign all day long. I think there's something happening that I see in the high school realm of the guys that are moving backwards, the old linemen, they don't want to play a line at that size and they're getting worse. And the guys that are running forward are getting bigger, faster, stronger. You see it in the NFL and they're getting closer to the line of scrimmage. So the Drake Jacksons of the world, USC freshman D lineman, who for all the love for Kayvon Thibodeau, who is a freak in his own right, Drake Jackson right now is your freshman of the year. Um, so on, on defense at least. So I think SC has a lot of talent, uh, missing the quarterback, missing their best two defensive players or two of the best. I think people need to just kick back and relax a little bit right now and all the heat around Clay Helton. I think it, a Amen. lot of it's, yeah, I think a lot of it's Amen. inappropriate. And I think that, uh, I've, we've seen this happen before in football, in this conference is that when people in our industry get going, they, they don't want to admit that they're ever wrong. So when the narrative gets going in the offseason around the heat around Clay Helton, the minute they see a little blood in the water, they want to jump on it. And I think it's inappropriate for the profession because that's not what your job is uh, for the most part. And I think everybody's jumping on this bandwagon because that's like the Twitter party you want to roll with versus, hey, throw, throw on somewhere else based on facts, based on how the program's developing, based on the stability uh, and based on the truth. Which is the reality is for as much as we love Matt Fink, he was on Inside Pac-12 Football last week, third string quarterback. You know, let's just be call it what it is. So uh, I, I hope people relax on that. I think on the Oregon front, Michael, uh, I talked to people at Cal today, and they're like, this D-line is real. So scheduling-wise, the Ducks have, other than the UW game, the best road. Utah has to go to UW, but they don't play Oregon. 
And UW gets everybody at home. They have to play both of those, and they already beat SC. So everybody can kind of make an argument for the best road. But uh, those four teams we discussed, I think it's going to be fun to see how this thing shakes out. Hey, hey, can I jump in one just to punctuate on USC? Please. Guys, and, and this is, I preface these words by saying this is strictly my opinion. The first thing USC, I would recommend that they would do is they need to hire an athletic director. Uh, there's so much going on at that school. The first thing they need is an AD. In my personal view, it would be an AD with an almost impeccable resume and credibility in the world of college athletics. With the other issues that USC are facing that are well-publicized, well-known, some of them are outside the realm of sports, by the way, that are going to cost this university tremendously, they need to not worry about athletics. Athletics needs to be clean as a whistle. And that would be my first thing. Otherwise, you end up with a situation where, as in Alabama, Alabama goes out and hires Greg Byrne as the athletic director, and he works for Nick Saban. That, that's just that's not the, the way you would want it to work. And the other thing is let's, let's tackle the elephant in the room at USC, which, which is the screen for Urban Meyer. If you have been through what USC has been through as a university, the last successful football program has been shredded by sanctions, right? And the, those sanctions hurt the succeeding coaches tremendously in their attempts to rebuild USC football. And now you have these issues that are affecting the university in the admissions office and this horrific case in the medical office that is going to cost the university tremendously. I would think if I were a graduate of USC, I would want that school to make sure that my next football coach has no issues and above reproach. And if you were to take the Twitterati world, the screening world, and do any due diligence on Urban Meyer's last two stops, there'd be some flags. And I would, as if I were a USC person, I would not want any flags. None. Just my opinion. Twitterati. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that too. Uh, what, what people don't like is our second down, which is there's five teams in this conference that are playing their backup or worse at the quarterback position. We're talking Davis Mills at Stanford. We referenced the USC situation. Grant Gannell played as Tate, or Khalil Tate didn't play a week ago. Devon Monster came in as Chase Garbers, as Ted references, more than likely done, at least for an extended period, potentially the regular season. And Austin Burton comes in for Dorian Thompson Robinson. So, so Michael, in all of your years producing games all over the country, have you ever seen anything like this within a conference at that position? No. And Garbers goes down, we're watching Friday night, and then we hear Khalil Tate's not going to play, and we're like, what's going on with that? And then you're watching UCLA, and they're closing in on competing with Arizona and maybe pulling that out, and then DTR goes down, and it's just like, this list is incredible, and you know, SC's lost two. I've never seen anything like it, especially not in one conference, but no, I can't even remember anything close to this, and to their credit, a lot of guys have come in and stepped up and won some games. So that's been great to see. Obviously, you don't want to see the starters go down, but there has been some production from the backups that's been pretty good to see. And uh, curious to see who we will see for Arizona in Colorado this weekend. Yeah, Yo, this is, you know, this is frustrating. It, this is a conference that's it's history. Its legacy is rooted in quarterback play. And offense, and this is we we're, we're already in a year where we didn't have a lot of returning quarterback experience, and now it's been really hurt by injury. And I keep coming back to Montez in Colorado. We're going to see Saturday. To me, it's a huge advantage. And as these quarterbacks go down with injuries, and teams are turning to inexperienced guys, Montez feels like he's been there twelve years. <laughs> it should, 
I, I would suspect this should be, and I don't mean to put this all on Steven's shoulders, that's not my point, but you would, I would suspect for Colorado, despite they have some injury issues, but not, at Mon, not with Montez, that's got to be an advantage. Yeah, coming off of a bye week, and I think he, and then you look at Tyler Huntley, who got to see up close and in personal for, for the first time this year, those two guys are seniors, right? In this conference, I believe it uh, seven or eight seniors at quarterback, which to me was kind of unheard of because the elite players that would have been seniors usually leave early, a la Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, et cetera, over the course of the last couple of years. And to have KJ go down, right? To have JT Daniels go down, to have Khalil go down. I mean, these are three guys that have all graced the cover of ESPN, the magazine, or Sports Illustrated at one time in their career. So um, it's... You're right. And we talk about it every week. Like, man, this conference is known for quarterbacks. And now here we are with five teams playing a backup. And and no one, you just saw it, Ted, you were just in Auburn. You were just in another part of the country, another part of the world, one might argue. And they they just, I think a lot of people just clump the Pac-12 and say, oh, they're down. Versus like even a reality check around the teams and what's happened to them, specifically at that position. So I, I think that it's going to hurt it has a chance to hurt the reputation of the conference if some of these teams like USC lose continually with backups. Like, SC's got to go to Notre Dame in two weeks. That's not going to be easy for any quarterback, let alone a true freshman or the third stringer. So I hope guys get back healthy because I think the narrative is not about quarterbacks being injured. It's just going to be about the records. Yeah, it's uh, – you know, I, I don't know what you guys think. I mean, look, I, I, I think I spoke pretty clearly. There needs to be a rule change in college football – that would have might help mitigate the kind of injury that that Slovis of USC suffered, which was a full body weight slam by the Utah defensive lineman Pecco. Now that again in college right now that's not a foul in pro football that's a foul, and that needs to be a foul in college football. The quarterback needs to be protected like that. Um, frustrating in these some of these other injuries, and then I, I got to be honest, I put on Saturday night the Arizona UCLA game, and I couldn't believe it when I saw Tate not playing. I mean, they just had a bye week, and he's not playing. And I go, my gosh, that's a, it's so hard for Arizona, obviously, with Sumlin trying to get traction in year two. And for the conference, because Tate's a, a marketable figure, right, after the explosive run he had two years ago. This is a guy that I think everybody in the conference, certainly in our shoes, right, Michael, we're all thinking this is a marquee guy. And now, who knows, we're, we're sitting here talking on a Monday. We're going to see Arizona Saturday. We have no idea if we'll see Tate. And remember that Khalil Tate's breakout game was in Colorado two years ago where he went for over 300 yards and no one had even heard of the guy. So that was that was definitely the storyline going in, and we'll, we'll see what happens as we get closer to Saturday. Yeah, that was uh, – I remember I called that game, guys, and it was – you saw history happening. It was it was awesome. We, we had such a blast doing it. I was with J.B. Long that night. Uh, so I want to look ahead. You know, wait a minute, oh, go ahead. Michael. Michael, you notice how Yogi says that with a smile on his face? <laughs> yes, he did. I <laughs> yeah, I got rid of that old guy for a night. I got some young guy in there who's pretty good. Hey, okay. I, you mentored him. We all know that. <laughs> Much respect. Um, and, and he's coming off a loss. We got to give him a little love. You know, the Rams, they took a tough one ooh, over ooh, the weekend. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. The stash rules. Oh, my God. <laughs> is that awesome? Yeah. I mean, come on. This is the Pac-12 adventure. Gardner Minshew made us all right. He made us smile last year. And I got to tell you, I, I, I put the highlights on when I got back from the South last night and I watched Minshew's highlights and I was smiling again. <laughs> and that's a great, just, just that simple human act of a guy that made me smile. 
Yeah. Well, look, if we've got an RV, he's definitely driving it on the Ted and Yogi Pac-12 <laughs> adventure. That's for sure. Um, I want to talk about Washington State for a little bit. we got four teams on a bye. USC, Utah, Arizona State, Washington State. Um, they were a team that I thought were a sleeper. They were picked fourth in the preseason poll. I thought they were disrespected in that regard. They lost in, in relatively embarrassing fashion to UCLA two weeks ago. And then they just got handled in the game that I was at with Utah. Curious what you guys think. Clearly, Mike Leach has been in the news. Um, you got Max Borgie, a talented player. You got, a, you know, obviously a quarterback who's been, you know, throwing crazy amount of touchdowns in Anthony Gordon. Uh, this is a team that I still think can knock anybody off. And I'm curious what you think about these teams entering a bye because they all have a really critical run. And they're all still in contention and control their own destiny in their respective divisions, which is pretty interesting when you look at those four specific teams. Uh, so Yogi, first of all, you tell me you were there. What? How did Washington State get so manhandled? Because I, I admittedly saw only snippets of that game. Well, I think to be fair, the weather had an impact in the game. I mean, there were sheets of rain for majority of that ball game. Now, Washington State also resides in the state of Washington. Um, granted, it's not Seattle, but it's not like they've got the best of weather at all times. They're going to run what they're going to run. But I just thought Utah. Um, they looked faster. They were stronger. Um, and they were much more efficient. And Tyler Huntley looked like a Heisman finalist. I mean, he had the best game of his career, guys. He did everything right. He stayed in the pocket. He climbed the pocket. He ran. I mean, this was without Zach Moss. He made everything look really easy. And defensively, they were all over the place. They changed up their scheme a little bit compared to what they did against SC a week prior. They didn't kind of stay in the same you know, same look, same picture for the quarterback. They, they would rotate their safeties here and there. But overall, they just looked like a team to, that were, that's going to win the Pac-12. I mean, they look like an SEC-esque team. Their front was crazy. Lecky Fotu, as you referenced, Bradley Anai. The secondary, Francis Bernard, their linebacker. They were all over the field, and there were just no windows to make any plays for Anthony Gordon and this air raid offense. Yeah. And, you know, my, uh, and Michael, jump in here, but what I think about, I was reading something from a passionate Cougar site today, because I'm thinking, all right, so in the last five and a half quarters, the Cougs have now given up 88 points. A couple of years ago, we were raving about the job Alex Grinch had done, right, with Mata Afa and Palur and Jalen Thompson. I mean, these terrific defensive players, they had their Shalom Luani, and they were bringing a defense that you hadn't seen at Washington State before. It appears that defense is gone, right? And if, that, and if that's the case, and you, you saw it firsthand, so I haven't yet. If that defense is gone, they've got they they can't contend in the in the north, can they? I echo what you said about the defense, Ted. That would be my concern: is the amount of points you you give up to UCLA in, in a comeback where that should never happen. Going down to Utah, you can understand it a little bit, but the defense right now appears to not be there for Washington State, and that's going to be a huge problem. Yeah. So, Michael, I want to hit you on because, you know, you are at the Stanford game. I just watched it back. It was fun to watch. This weekend, you know, a game that was circled on the schedule is UW-Stanford. What's going on in your eyes? You, you talked to Coach Saw. You've been around the players, the coordinators. What are your thoughts about what they're dealing with and your projections for this weekend against a team that's playing as well as anybody in the conference? Well, it seems to be a shift over the last two years from a great offensive line, run the ball at you, absolutely dominate the line of scrimmage, to now they're, whether they don't think they can, I think this year they've had the injuries on the line, so that's kind of made them go this way, but it's way more pass. I mean, 
this to me sums up Stanford lately. The fact that they ran, uh, no offense, the, the Pittsburgh special, the Stanford special, when they were in the red zone against Oregon State. I mean, I don't know if, if you had a, a tight end throwing a pass um, to the quarterback for a touchdown. That's the play Stanford ran to score in the red zone. That's quite different from anything you probably would have seen Stanford do in the last five, six years. Yeah. Ted, you live in that community. What, what's your well, thoughts on that program? Well, and again, I didn't see this, so I, I have to speak blind on the Oregon State game. But I think this has been a gradual, to me, change over the last two to three years. Where, again, it, it's somewhat similar, guys, to what I think about USC. Stanford had brilliant line play uh, for years, unlike anything in their school's history. And it wasn't long ago that we were billing the game every year when Stanford played Utah, the two most physical teams in the conference, right? Uh, I'm, I'm just not sure I'd say that. I could put Stanford in that mix right now. Uh, and I don't know because we obviously understand Stanford has a as an admissions uh, situation that's unlike anybody else in the conference. We know that. They know that. Uh, how easily they can recapture that. So the other thing I would say, and again, I, you know, Michael, you're in the truck screaming, said Stanford's one thing that I've watched this year is they don't have a playmaker. And they got sp- they have were wonderfully blessed by and probably spoiled by over recent years having McCaffrey and Love and Arcega Whiteside and a slew of tight ends and then terrific quarterbacks that can make plays. They don't seem to have that this year. And when Oregon State ties the game, they kick off. And the one playmaker Stanford has on offense this year is Connor Weddington. And he, they kick to him, right? And, he, and I didn't see it, Michael, but he runs the kickback 40, 50 yards, whatever. It was an emotional swing, and we were getting ready to say we were going to go down to Jill after the kickoff for a report on the great emotion on the Oregon State sideline. Yeah. Well, that went away. And it's um, the one thing you can't – if you're Oregon State, you can't do that. You can't let the one playmaker make a play. And, no. And I didn't see it, so I don't know if – did they try to dribble the kick along the ground or you – know, No, no. They just yeah. – they kicked away, and it. That's a, that's a, that's a that's a mistake. <laughs> it, yeah, they had a couple. Yeah. yeah, they allowed a sack in the first half late that took them out of field goal range too. That was another um, kind of critical error. I know. I know. The, and these are easy things for us to say on Mondays. I understand that, but it is what the the it's what the coaches' jobs are, and so that that that's frustrating. Hey, for Stanford, it's a heck of a win because their schedule's brutal, as we all know. And I guarantee you, all off season, they circled that Corvallis game as one. All right, that's a W, and suddenly the week going into the game, it's not a W. And I'm sure with a minute to go in the game, they don't no. think it's a W, <laughs> and they got out with a W. And that's that's credit to David Shaw and Stanford. Yeah, I thought uh, our dear friend Jill Savage at halftime, she talked to Coach Shaw, and he said, you know, we haven't earned the right to let up. You know, we haven't done anything. And I think that's going to kind of be their mantra as the year goes on. And they'll be that team, if you remember like Utah, maybe five, six years ago, where they just would knock off somebody. You know, I think that's going to be Stanford. I, I think they'll get to a bowl. I think they're just going to make it hard, so hard on everybody as the year goes on. And I think next year, they're kind of setting themselves up. You know, I do like their young running back that they have from Northern California. I think it's Austin Jones is his name. Um, so I'm excited to see their future, if that's Davis Mills as the guy. Yeah. Um, once, once KJ, I, I think we would presume, uh, goes on in the NFL. And Yogi, that's a great call because one thing Stanford has done for a long time, a tradition in that program has been to redshirt. You have to be pretty good to play as a real freshman at Stanford. Andrew Luck redshirted, okay? (laughs) 
And the fact that David's playing some freshmen this year to me indicates again what I'm talking about. They're they're just they're not quite the talent level's not where it's been. I, I, I don't think that's an insult. It's just pre being straight. The talent level's not where it's been, and so now you freshmen do play. And as you know, Yog, you live in this world of, of of stars, and you know you see a lot of the high school players that are heading in. Nobody goes to college anymore thinking they're going to redshirt, right? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, nobody says, "Hey, I, hey, coach, can I volunteer to redshirt a year?" No, it doesn't happen. And what we're and, seeing now, and we'll talk about this next week, is we're seeing guys want to redshirt as seniors, which is its own podcast. Derek yes, King exactly. at Houston, uh, exactly. some other players that. that well, that's a tactical – wait a minute. In the NFL, you know what they call that? A business decision. <laughs> All right. Well, thankfully, our last segment is not about business because it's brought to you by our producer. Also, before I throw it over to Michael, uh, I was told by a member of our production team, Mike Scoville, he said, hey, reset every once in a while. So here's a reset for you. This is Ted and Yogi's podcast adventure. I am the Pac-12 adventure. I'm Yogi Roth, Ted Robinson, and Michael Molinari bringing you 30 minutes of Pac-12 football. And we ended every week with the humanity moment of the week from our producer, Michael. So, Michael, take it away. We're taking cues from Sco. Wow. <laughs> anyway, I just uh, I have some moments from Corvallis, none, uh, none involving China D, Ted. But uh, Jake Luton, we had a chance to talk to him on Friday. And a six-year guy now, the six-year of football. And all I do, I, I looked in the kid's eyes, and I just remember two seasons ago in Pullman, he took a vicious hit. You didn't know for sure he was going to walk again. You definitely didn't think he was going to play football again. But now he's out and uh, you know running the offense for 500 yards last week and looking as confident and as as well as he's looked on a football field. So hats off to him. Uh, and then uh, we also talked to Hamaka Rashid, and I asked him about my favorite thing up in Corvallis, the turnover chainsaw. And he had an electric smile when I mentioned the chainsaw, and he desperately wants to get his hands on it. But uh, he was unable to, but he did have two sacks. Um, but uh, he was a great kid and really fun to talk to. Uh, and then the cynic in me, every time I go up there, says, oh, Friday night, we're going to be sitting at a restaurant, and the band's going to come in and interrupt us, and it's just this goofy thing. But And eye rolls will start. But they walked in Friday, and it was it was electric. It was refreshing. It was fun. Every time going in, I think it's going to be lame and not very exciting. But every time that band comes in, everybody gets excited. It's so much fun. And I, I'm happy to say, yet again, I loved it again. Uh, and then finally, on Friday at practice, there was a team manager who caught my eye. This kid actually uh, definitely had a few physical challenges but he was running around with the water and at one point had a ladder and was running around and, and everybody just, you know, looked at him as a normal guy. And, you know, I thought to myself, no matter how hard anybody in this practice field works, it's not possible for anybody to contribute more than this guy's going to do for this team. And I think that definitely inspired me and hopefully inspires this team as they make a way, uh, as I think the Beavers are making their way to a competitive and powerful team in this conference. I really do. I, I felt really inspired by them. Michael knows how to get to my heart when he tells manager stories. <laughs> I was a manager for two years. and Some podcast, uh, when I've had my chocolate milk, will tell the Rudy story. But, uh, uh, and, and the other thing, Yogi, you know too, it is so hard to get a table at China D on a Friday night in Corvallis <laughs> before a football game. The fact, though, that the band, and this is what Michael's referencing, that is, Corvallis is a great town. It's a fabulous college town that we treasure in our conference. 
And the fact that the Oregon State Band comes through downtown Corvallis and walks into multiple restaurants and just blasts for 10 minutes, that is a great tradition. Personally, I would love to see that in all 12. Well, I don't know if you can do it in downtown Los Angeles or in Pasadena. They probably have about nine ordinances that refuse that being the case. But in a lot of cases, it would be nice to see that happen, wouldn't it? Agree. Uh, it's great every time. Hey, hey, can I just get one more humanity moment in, guys? Please. Um, look, we all know, I think everybody listening to this now, if you follow Pac-12 football enough, you heard what Mike Leach said after the game Saturday. I want to talk about the humanity shown by Evan Weaver at Cal, by Justin Wilcox, the coach at Cal, by Max Borgie, the running back at Washington State, all of whom confronted tough situations after losses. And Evan Weaver went off on it, and Michael sent the link to me, thank you, Michael, an epic rant about basically taking ownership of the team. Every coach, right, Yogi? Every coach wants their leaders to take ownership of the team. And Evan Weaver did that, challenging his teammates to be ready to play. Justin Wilcox flat out said, hey, look, we need to be better, and it starts with me. And Max Borgie was asked after the Washington State game about his lack of touches, and he said, that's coach's decision. I don't get involved in that. All, the, all of them examples of how you handle, you know, something, whatever you want to call it, failure, a loss, it didn't go well, it didn't go right. They're all grade A examples of leadership. Sadly, Mike Leach didn't show that, and, and it's very sad. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to speak for him, so I don't know how he explains that. But I think it's more important this week to highlight including one of his own players, three great examples of people who did, who, who demonstrated top-tier leadership. I love it, man. There's there's so many good stories. I mean, it's crazy where we have less games than we did the first few weeks, but we might have twice as many stories because we get to go even deeper now. And that is the whole point of this podcast. So, fellas, it is late on Monday night. This will be out Tuesday morning. Uh, have an awesome week. I can't wait to hang out with you guys this weekend. And, Podcast uh, after dark, Yogi. Yeah, that's right. That means we're going to get a great game. It's going to come down to the last possession because, Michael, that's just what you do over the course of the last couple of weeks. So counting on it again, man. I Field goal at the end. I, I'm having little shakes. Adam Gordon is one of the most talented <laughs> hockey announcers in the world, and he works on our crew every week on Pac-12 Network in this incredibly creative role. He's brilliant. And I miss Adam. Because not only that, he side, he kind of moonlights. He's our staff sommelier. <laughs> so I, I'm, freely, I'm freely admitting I missed him this week. Well said. Well, They had no sommelier. I'll tell you what, guys. They had no sommelier in Auburn. And the other thing, if you're Oregon, after seeing Auburn firsthand, there's no shame in losing. Auburn is really good. Bo Nix looks nothing like a freshman. I was so impressed watching him in person. So that loss that Auburn had in a game they should have won, but even the fact they didn't, that to me, uh, for the Ducks, there's no shame in losing that game. That team, Auburn right now, to me, should be one or two in the country in the rankings. That's how good they are. Yeah, and that's a great reason of why Oregon still has a chance. Let's yes, all remember exactly. 2014. 2014, Ohio State loses to Virginia Tech 35-21. Virginia Tech ends the year 7-6. and six. Ohio State gets to the playoff, beats Oregon to win the Natty. If... Oregon just does what they need to do. They'll be in the college football playoff and have a chance based on how talented Auburn is, as you just said, Ted. By the way, you know what that ding was? I just got a David Platty email. <laughs> who, is the, who is the legend? He's, been, he's basically the historian of Colorado Buffalo football. 
And so the fact that Platy is working at 2.30 in the morning is awesome. Way to go, David. He is all time. Shout out indeed. All right, fellas, let's shut it down. We got a big week ahead of us. As always, subscribe, rate, review, kick us your feedback. All of our social handers are in the show notes. Hit us up. Let us know what you want more of, less of. We're bringing it to you every week. Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure with Michael Molinari, our producer. And if we're lucky, Gardner Mitchell will be driving our RV before the end of the season. (laughs) Way to go, Yogi. All right, see you, fellas. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.